Well, if you would this morning turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2, um, we begin in verse 1 um, with what we're um, calling Hannah's song. Um, I believe it's a very fitting um, section of praise to the Lord um, for a day like this where we celebrate uh, baby dedication and God's gift to those families. And um, also, um, we begin celebrating 150 years of God's faithfulness to this church. Um, we are a blessed people. Um, and that's really the sentiment that Hannah is expressing as we study this text today. Um, this is her hymn of praise um, after experiencing God's blessing in her life, um, or you might say the divine reversal of her circumstances. Uh, it's very rich theologically, and we're going to try to plumb those depths just a little bit. Um, but it's also very pivotal, pivotal in the, um, just the, the general overview of the book of 1 Samuel um, and even the overall plan of God. And so we want to see it in that way as well. Now, for, for the sake of this book that we're considering, it serves as a bookend um, to the Song of David, which appears at the end of 2 Samuel um, as David's about to die. So we have a song rejoicing in the birth of Samuel at the start of 1 Samuel, and then you have um, a song of praise penned by David at the end of 2 Samuel, and their themes are very much uh, the same. There's um, rejoicing in God's faithfulness. David is, is looking back on his life, but he's also looking forward to the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant and even things that are yet to come. Um, Hannah's song concludes with an allusion to God's king. Um, I believe both David, certainly in the short term, but more importantly, the Messiah, Christ. Um, and so those songs really complement each other in the overall scope of First and Second Samuel. Um, but also, Hannah's song, if we're being fair, um, should make us think of another song in Scripture, which we studied not too long ago. Um, in Luke chapter 1, we looked at the Magnificat, which was Mary's praise to God um, about uh, the birth of Christ. And these two songs by these two women could easily be swapped um, in place and time and you wouldn't be able to tell them apart in, in some ways. They're both um, accounts of women who are rejoicing at the miraculous birth of a child. Uh, they're hymns of praise to our God who reverses human fortune um, by his mighty power. Um, so again, it's a good theme for today and any day. Um, but we only have time to focus on Hannah's song, so um, let's read our text for today, if you would. Out of reverence, respect for the word of God, let's read uh, 1 Samuel 2. Um, verses 1 through 11 um, together. First uh, Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Verse 2. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. Uh, verse 4. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. 
Verse 9, he will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Verse 11, then Elkaniah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. You may be seated. Now, there's a lot here. We're going to kind of focus on three things that Hannah really emphasizes in this song of praise um, to the Lord. You can call it a prayer. You can call it a song. I'll call it both because I really think uh, that's kind of the, um, the best way to, to refer to it. But she starts by emphasizing that we serve an incomparable God. Um, and we're going to stay right in these first few verses to explore this a bit further, but understand something. Really, this whole song emphasizes this theme. Um, she sings of God's sovereignty in verses 1 through 3, um, verses 6 through 7, verses 8 through 10, in various ways. Um, she celebrates his ability to deliver divine reversal of difficult circumstances in verses 4 through 5 and verse 8. She celebrates God's kingship or authority or sovereignty, you might say, um, which ultimately is pointing to the coming of the Messiah in verse 10 as well. So there's a lot on her mind here as she celebrates um, her incomparable God, um, more than just the three things that we will take time to point out. And so I want to make sure we get the overall sentiment uh, of this idea. Um, Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always again, I will say rejoice. That is the sentiment of this song and, and I hope um, and pray and I, I know Robert and his team and, and all we've done this morning um, I pray that today is about uh, praising the Lord about giving him um, praise for his faithfulness to us as a church and as a body of people and as, as parents and um, God is good and that's the theme of today it's the theme of this text um, Psalm 85 6 will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you uh, may we rejoice in God today um, as Hannah kind of instructs us to, I believe. So as she speaks of um, the incomparable God, she focuses on his uh, delight. And not um, don't misunderstand the outline. These are going to be things that Hannah is referring to about God that causes her to delight, okay? It's not God's delight necessarily, but it's more her delight in him. And Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts or exalts in the Lord. Uh, my horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Uh, she speaks of this big word exaltation um, in verses 1, 7, 8, 10. Uh, so that's kind of a, recur a recurring theme here. And again, it's this idea that um, she was the broken, she was the lowly, she was the unknown, and God has um, reversed those circumstances and she has been exalted over her problems and her, her enemies. Um, her, her phrase, my horn is exalted um, in the Lord, is likely a reference to how a magnificent stag would uh, raise his horns to intimidate um, his enemies or any potential predators. Um, she's celebrating that God has given her lowly Hannah, barren Hannah for many, many years. Um, she's given her strength or he's given her strength and power uh, and she's found victory over her enemies. Now, it would be easy in context and all that we've studied up to this point to assume when she speaks of an enemy, she's talking about Penaniah, um, her husband's second wife.
wife and uh, her rival in the home who's mocked her and uh, belittled her. But let's be honest, the text soars way past whatever's happening in her own home. Um, it's really as if she's speaking of God's enemies more than her enemies, and I think that's true. Um, even the enemies of barrenness, which only God can cure, um, despair, poverty. Um, you know, our government on its best day can't figure out how to fix those things. We need Jesus, and that's what she is singing about. She's delighting in a God who can reverse our fortunes in an instant and bring us victory in the darkest of circumstances e against even the, the biggest enemies. That is the God who we worship, amen? And in a sense, this is a test for us. Do, is, is this? I mean, you said amen. You, you say you agree. But do you really believe in a God this big? Do you worship the same God that Hannah is singing these praises to? Do you believe? And I think more of us, would. we could go further. We could say, not only do I believe in a God, but I've seen a God act in my life who has reversed my circumstances. I'm a, a testimony of praise to the fact that he can do the miraculous. You know, we had a few stories up here just in, in the lives of a few families and a few children about God's faithfulness and his goodness and, and what he does. And I, I believe, personally, we, most of us take for granted our health. If you have healthy children, praise the Lord. If you're healthy yourself, praise the Lord. If, if you're able to be here and to, to draw breath, praise the Lord, okay? But also God can do the extraordinary. And so here is Hannah, and she is intentionally delighting in the Lord. And, and understand something, she is singing this song of praise and prayer as she's about to turn little Samuel, her biggest blessing, over to Eli and the tabernacle household, so to speak. Okay, so she's not getting ready to, in, in some ways, you can say, live her best life now. She's getting ready to endure some hardship, but she's surrendering her blessing over to a man that honestly I wouldn't trust a whole lot. But it's the promise she made to the Lord, and she's trusting God to work through that promise. She's actually rejoicing in the Lord while giving back to Him. So, what is it that He's blessed us with that we need to be willing to trust Him with and to turn back over to Him? Uh, so to speak. But let's zero in on her last sentence here in verse one uh, because it's a real good way to kind of uh, kick this off. Not that we haven't already kicked off, but um, she says there, uh, excuse me, uh, because I rejoice in your salvation. Because I rejoice in your salvation. What she's celebrating is God's deliverance. Um, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Obviously, we know by context that she is rejoicing because she has been blessed with Samuel. And now he's at an age that he can begin to serve the Lord in the tabernacle, and she's turning him over. But clearly her words um, are directed far beyond that reality. Again, we're going to see throughout this that I believe there's a prophetic tilt um, to her words. Um, I would go a step further and say I, it, it feels as if, if we're being fair to her and this passage and even the passages we've studied before now, it really feels as if she knew from the beginning that this child she was praying for was really, really important in the plan of God. She had that understanding, and so that tilt is certainly here. Uh, she seems to know that Samuel is going to play a role in defeating the enemies of Israel and delivering the nation itself. Um, her song is going to sound uh, much that same way when we get to verse 10, and she first references the king of Israel, who, again, there's no king 
in Israel at the time that she pins this prayer. Um, it's as if she seems to know some things that no one else knows. But I also don't want to miss the most obvious reason um, that we're supposed to rejoice. She rejoices for this reason, and you and I should rejoice as well, and that's our salvation. Now, the fact that God um, has provided salvation for our sins and made a way for us. Um, I think she's singing, you know, if God can give me a child, he can do anything, and that includes delivering wicked man um, from the curse of sin, delivering us from the guilt um, and the shame and the penalty that we so justly deserve. Um, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all know we have a sin problem. Uh, we heard you know, briefly about a revival back in our church's past where over 100 people got saved in the early 1900s. The same God who delivered them delivers today. And he comes to people who are broken, who are sinners, who are in need of a savior, who have fallen short. They can't, on their best day, they cannot be redeemed based upon their own merits. And yet God steps in and he provides a way for us. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we understand the beauty of this offer of salvation, our guilt, our penalty, our inability to earn that kind of forgiveness, um, but then most importantly, the gracious way that God has offered us a redeemer through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, it should result not just in momentary rejoicing and joy, not just in uh, rejoicing that the moment of our salvation, but it should continue to result in praise all of our days. And that's why we gather on a Sunday, not just to praise God for this, that, or the other, or to ask God for this, that, or the other, but most importantly, each and every Sunday, we're to draw near and praise God for saving us. We're redeemed, and we're anchored in that promise. Uh, Hannah got this. Um, like Job before her, in the worst of her circumstances, in the worst of his circumstances, and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. Uh, this life is fleeting. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If you get nothing else on this side of eternity but salvation and the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you are blessed beyond measure. Okay, everything else is, uh, you know, the old Southern saying, it's gravy, okay? Uh, salvation and eternity with God is the reason to rejoice. Friends, do we understand the sheer joy of our salvation? Do we really get it? Have, have we as a people, individuals, experienced the freedom of deliverance from the penalty of sin? Even Jesus makes plain to us that it is what really matters. You want spiritual power, you want to encounter the demonic realm and, and take names, so to speak. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Your names. I believe it was personal. Peter, you need to be thankful you're saved. Because you're what? He, he was a, a knucklehead who was impetuous and he did stupid things and, and he didn't always follow God rightly. But what Jesus is saying is rejoice because you've been forgiven and redeemed and it's a guarantee, it's a promise based upon the blood that I'm gonna shed on your behalf. Rejoice in your salvation. There is nothing greater. Amen? Amen. Now, again, I, I never wanna stoop and, uh, to the pettiness but as I get older, many of you know, you know, I'm, I'm a sports fan. I hate to bring the Razorbacks up today. And I'm really not trying to pick on them, you know. 
It is sort of good that the little G God that is the Razorback football season is sort of already dead this year, to be honest with you. But anyway, um, if they can't be be about you at home, just relax, okay? Don't worry about worshiping them at that throne the rest of the year. Anyway, here's what I really sincerely mean. Most of my Saturdays for many, many years are ordered around watching a football game. Anybody, you know, am I just crazy? Am I the only one talking about that? You know, it's, it's fun. It's relaxing. It's a part of fall. I love cool weather. I love watching the Razorbacks. I love watching just good football. There was some good football on yesterday. It's a recreational thing to do. But let's be honest. Is there anything that looks more like the worship of our nation than the spectacle that is college athletics? I mean, can, can we be honest? L- let me go a step further can the high say say when the Razorbacks win or the lows when the Razorbacks lose how do they compare to what we emotionally experience when we come to church to worship God on a Sunday I mean let's be honest there's no comparison right I mean, the, the energy and the passion and the expense and the, the time. Church is pretty easy compared to getting to Fayetteville. But it's extraordinary what happens in those three to four hours affects our mood way more than what happens in here on a Sunday morning. So what are we worshiping? My point, and I'm picking on me, because, you know, I've been in a funk because the Orioles played bad this week, you know, so anyway... I know some of you think that's so fleshly. It is. I'm confessing to you, okay? All right? We're saved and redeemed by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. This life is fleeting. It's fading away. And, and Hannah, she's been through the worst of it, and, and she knows she's getting ready to, her heart's going to be living outside of her own chest, walking among Eli and his wicked boys, living in the tabernacle. Her life's not getting ready to get any easier, but what she says is, I know I'm redeemed, I know you're good, and I'm not worried about the rest of it. That should be the attitude of our hearts last thing she emphasizes his distinctiveness verse 2 there is none holy like the Lord for there is none besides you there is no rock like our God again in Hannah's world just like ours today there's a multiplicity of what you might say or little g gods things we choose to worship Uh, the other nations had plenty of those gods peoples always found a way to worship something there were idols on every corner and and every city around the globe then and now but she worshiped as we do the one and only incomparable god uh, the holy god the the rock the altogether holy creator she says there is none besides you it's a clear treatise, by the way, in monotheism, which is worth noting how good her theology is. Um, and it's rooted in an understanding of God's incomparability. Um, there, there is no God. like the, the rest of the gods are fiction, okay? He is the creator, sustainer, and he's altogether holy. If you know anything about other gods, in most cases, you study the, the Greek gods, they, they were... <laughs> 
they're not real, but even in depicting them, they were capricious and they were petty and, and ancient literature records it that way. Our God is our strong foundation and he is altogether holy and trustworthy. Um, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? That's the song of praise Israel sang when they came out of bondage in Egypt. Deuteronomy 32, 4, the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice, the God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Isaiah 6, uh, this song we're aware of, the, the throne room of God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. Revelation 4, 8, much the same theme. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around within, and day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. King David sings the same song on his deathbed. It's the bookend of, of Hannah's song here. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? And understand the incredible continuity in Scripture. Those texts were selected for a reason. We just marched through thousands of years in Israel's history, from Exodus to the time of the kings to the fall of the divided kingdom to the early days of church history uh, to uh, the revelation um, pen looking forward to eternity. And the song is always the same because our God is always the same. Our God is a rock. Our God is the only God. Our God is holy. He is truly incomparable as his divinely inspired, inspired word is. May we never cease rejoicing in the firm foundation he has provided and his incomparability. But there's a lot more, all right? So the incomparable God. Now she's gonna sing about the transforming God. And I have to read Hannah's first few stanzas as sort of a, you know, a, a big picture look. She's, she's praising the glory of God in the heavens, but now she gets personal. She transitions to the microcosm, you might say. She returns to the theme of reversal, uh, celebrating God's ability to do the impossible, the, the improbable for the broken and the, and the forgotten, and that would be her in this context. And I think it's worth saying, I don't know what you're dealing with today, but you need to hear this. You need to personalize this. You need to understand that Hannah wasn't singing an academic song of theology. She was rejoicing in God's reversal of her suffering and her circumstances. Ultimately, this section will center around several uh, formal contrasts, um, although we're going to boil it down to just three central themes. But if you broaden it, the contrasts that are presented would be like this. We're going to see the difference between the strong and the weak, the full and the hungry, the barren and the fertile, the dead and the alive, the sick and the well, the poor and the rich, the humble and the prideful. Those contrasts, you know, the, the fancy uh, scholarly phrase would be they're, they're called antithetic parallelism, which is a fancy way of saying contrast, okay? So we get it. But there is a, a, another word that I, I do prefer. Um, these can be referred to as merisms. Um, and that's an expression in which two words on the extreme ends of a scale are, are used to express everything on the whole scale. And I really believe that's what's happening here. It's not that God especially works with the strong or the weak. The point is that God works with everything in between. Okay, He covers the gambit from the full to the hungry, the barren and the fertile, the dead and the alive. God's got it all. 
That's what we need to keep in mind, all right? Um, he, he doesn't just reverse things for the extremes, but he works everywhere in between. Ultimately, in a worldly sense, he does. He turns losers into winners and winners into losers, but we're going to let Hannah speak. First, she emphasizes just his, um, his prudence, his wisdom. He's a transforming God because he sees all and he knows all. Talk no more so very proudly, a lesson we should all listen to, by the way. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. When we really consider who God is, our arrogance is pretty silly, isn't it? I mean, if you really understand, and yet listen to what Hannah's emphasizing. God knows all. He weighs all. Ultimately, he knows even the motives behind our actions. You say, well, I enjoy the Razorbacks, but I don't worship them. If that's a true statement, God knows. Amen? Okay? So, you know, you can relax. Watch the Razorbacks. But anyway, I'm sorry. I'll get off that. Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God already knows what you're thinking. Just be honest with him. It's arrogance to think that you can fool God. Acts 15, 8, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the, the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. In Romans 2, 16, on that day when, according to my gospel, our gospel that we uh, reverence, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Your, your games are worthless because God knows all. Maybe our prayers aren't answered because we're so arrogant as to believe that we, we know what we need more than God does. But let's continue into the heart of the contrast. She also is celebrating uh, the idea that he's a transforming God because, of course, he has the power to do whatever he chooses to do. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Uh, those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry um, have ceased to hunger. The barren is born seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. Again, the theme here is reversal. Um, because of God's power, we should never despair in our circumstances because it just takes a moment of his tremendous power to completely change our lives. Friends, do, do we believe like Hannah in this God? Do you understand uh, that she uh, lingered for years in barrenness? She had uh, months, if not years, of heartache and pain. Her deliverance did not come overnight. It was not a guarantee, but she continued to trust in the power of God. She had this kind of faith when she was barren, just as she has this kind of faith when she's been blessed. And our faith, it's not real if it's not the same during both moments, okay? Um, she continued to praise the Lord before he showed up and even after he showed up. He cripples the mighty. He cures barrenness, as she sings here. And then she's going to add how he conquers death, amen, salvation, eternity, um, how he created the world. He crumbles the adversary. Yes, his power is worth praising. Again, whether you're in the storm or you've already been delivered. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. I think that's, a, that's personal. 
personal. She could sing that. Um, Hebrews 11, though, bigger. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. That's this time period. Um, Who, through faith, what? Conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Friends, that kind of reversal is grace, and we need never forget it. And again, you know those names. They had sin. They had mistakes. They had failures. They were judged. They were punished. They they had highs and lows. But through it all, God did what God chose to do. We do not deserve to have his power directed at us at all to reverse any of our circumstances, but it is available to us if only in the glories of being forgiven and redeemed. If salvation and eternity is all we get, we should be able to sing this song. Now, I believe God is better to us than even that. We're given things we do not deserve. We don't deserve eternity, but he blesses us even in the here and the now. But... um, The reversal of going from condemned sinners to saints of God should be enough. Uh, But we continue. We we celebrate his prudence as she does, his power, and also his uh, possession. Uh, For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set uh, the world. We need never forget the crux of good theology, which is that God created the heavens and the earth, and so it is all his. He is sovereign. Um, He is creator. He is owner. He can do with us and this world what he wants and at the end of the day all mankind all fallen men and women are we're mere beggars at the feet of the creator of the universe god owns the world he is sovereign period when the earth totters and all its inhabitants it is i who keep steady its pillars but all these thoughts just lead us to the last thing that hannah emphasizes which is that he is the victorious god the incomparable God, the transforming God. He's beyond compare. He has the power to do anything you need, okay, but he's also the victorious God. Now, I would argue he determines what victory is. Too often, uh, we try to tell him what it's gonna look like, but here again, we see some very prophetic notes in Hannah's song. There's no doubt she's singing about more than just her son. Uh, Yes, perhaps um, much of this involves his future as a prophet and the judge of of Israel, um, but her words again soar far beyond her own circumstances. She's looking into or far into the future of Israel, I believe, even into the future of all of us who may be considered the covenant people of our glorious God. And we all worship and serve a victorious God, and we should never forget it. Just listen to the clarity of her song. Uh, She sings of the winners. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. If you're one of his faithful ones, if you're saved and redeemed by the shed blood of Jesus, what a blessing it is to know that our God is on guard for us, that he never sleeps, he never slumbers. The the imagery to me here is of a God who keeps us from stumbling, who uh, removes obstacles from before us, because let's be honest, again, without God and and his prudence and his power, we're knuckleheads. We we make mistakes, we stumble. He, He is a God who blazes a path before us. He protects us even in our sleep. 
If we are his faithful ones, we can count on that kind of blessing and that kind of joy. Now, again, we can count on victory, if only victory that comes in eternity. Uh, Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. But the contrast between uh, the winners and the losers, the, the righteous and the wicked, well, it's here as well. Uh, Proverbs 4, 18 and 19, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, the, of the faithful, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. The losers, verse 10, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. I don't want to oppose my God. I don't want to be guilty of that. And then you couple this sentiment with the end of verse 9 that we just read. It says, But the wicked will be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. There are many today numbered among the wicked who appear to be winning on this side of eternity. But the day is coming when the ultimate judge is going to separate the real winners from the losers. He's not keeping score like we keep score, by the way. Okay, the, Again, the winners are those who've been saved and redeemed by the shed blood of Jesus. But the Lord is going to judge the ends of the earth, and we never need never forget it. Uh, we're not always comfortable praying in precatory prayers, by the way. That's the fancy word for a prayer of judgment on the wicked. But Hannah didn't struggle with that in her theology. Neither did the psalmist. Not because they thought they were great or, or better than anybody else or they were righteous and everybody else was wicked, but they believed in the goodness of God and the righteousness of God. And the righteous judge can do what he chooses to do with the wicked. Uh, let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net from me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it. Let the net that he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it to his destruction. You can't pray that about, you know, the, the BYU football team, okay? Again, bring it back to perspective. You can't pray that about people you like or you don't like or this, that, but you can pray that about the enemies of God. Now, I would suggest you don't, don't try to name them, don't figure out who you think they are, but pray that the glory of God would be high and lifted up, that his ways would be um, righteous. They are righteous altogether, but they would, they would win even now. You can pray that the righteous judge will begin to execute his judgment today in our generation. And if he does that, the faithful ones will be blessed, the wicked will be judged. Our modern idea, though, is to each his own as if we can remake God in an image that is not biblical. But God is the ultimate judge, and he determines what is righteous and who is righteous and what wins and what loses. But we wrap up. Last thing, the king. The king, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And then in verse 11, I believe... I believe that this sentiment is connected to the end of her song. Then Elkaniah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest. In the short term, uh, the anointed that I think she's praying about is likely her son. Um, he's going to be anointed. He's going to serve in the tabernacle. He's surrendered over to the Lord, and I pray that God would bless him and use him. But obviously, there's some prophecy here as well. He will give strength to his king. Again, Israel has no king at this point. 
God has mentioned a king for Israel previously in Scripture, both in Genesis and Deuteronomy. Uh, So it wasn't a new idea, but there's certainly something new here as it pertains to the king. She connects the idea uh, of the king to the exaltation of the horn of his anointed. Um, That Hebrew phrase for his anointed, that's the first use of that phrase or title in God's word. That's the word that goes on um, to become uh, the word for Messiah to the Jews, and the Greek um, renders it Christ. That's how we see it in English as well. So when you think of Christ, when you think of the Messiah, you're thinking about the king, you're thinking about the anointed one. Again, in the short term, it refers to Samuel, I think, and his role what he's going to usher in for Israel but her words go far beyond that she is foreshadowing uh, the remainder of the books of first and second Samuel but even greater the Davidic covenant uh, the coming kingdom the promise that that David would eternally have one to sit on the throne and that one would ultimately be the Messiah of Israel the eternal king uh, the Lord the judge our gracious God so rejoice friends God is seated on his throne. He sent his son to deliver us. That same one is the judge that we worship. And no matter what your circumstances are today, no matter how you're suffering or or laboring or uh, how bewildered you may be, what God has done for Hannah, he can do for you. Because he's an incomparable God. He's a transforming God. He is the victorious God. Psalm 67, 7, God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Psalm 96.10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Do we believe that? Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. He is the incomparable God. He is the transforming God. He is the victorious God. So as our musicians come this morning, and just a couple other things to remember. Who has ascended to the heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? who has established all the ends of the earth. What is his name? What is his son's name? I love, it's not a question, it's a statement. Surely you know, amen? We know. We give praise to him. Isaiah 52, the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. So we're gonna sing a a song of praise this morning. You're going to have an opportunity to render back to our incomparable God the praise that he's deserved. And first and foremost, give him praise if you're saved and redeemed. If you're not saved and redeemed, what's holding you back? You can make that decision this morning. But also when I think of how all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of a God, I am mindful of 150 years of this church Sort of little old nowhere, Russellville, Arkansas, giving to missions and going on mission and being a part of God calling the nations to him. And I want to give him praise for that. Let's stand and let's sing to him today. Mm